Checo decided he wanted to do a very different kind of Mexican wave. Welcome back to Motorsport 101. Or as they say back in his home country, a wave. Hi guys, welcome to episode 481 of Motorsport 101. I get to see the grimace on RJ's face as I came through that joke. <laughs> How you doing, big man? I, I, I love the sarcastic applause I got in the background there. Like that's that, that, that joke central for me on that one. <laughs> uh, it's cold now. Halloween's over. Racing season's almost over. Like, what are we going to do in a few months? I don't know. Like, like it's we're in November. Like, this, like we're, we're recording this literally on November first, and it's like this is it. This is normally the last month of of the year for major motorsport. We're in we're in the business end of things now, and we've still got free F one races and free Moto GP races to get through between now and the end of the month. <laughs> I love calendar bloat. It's great. <laughs> Don't worry, it's only going to be even worse next year when MotoGP has a race in the last week of November and Formula 1 goes into December again. Yay! We're doing an F1 race two weeks before Christmas. What the fuck are we doing here? Um, like, honestly. Um, <laughs> I've, uh, I could go into calendar bloke for, for a whole podcast if I really wanted to. But yeah, it's just me and RJ O'Connell again here on Motorsport 101. Cam is still a little Bye. bit... Uh, sick off the back of covid get well soon buddy we uh, we miss you um so again forgive us for a lack of a moto gp episode we still got two on deck we're going to be doing that hopefully next week because hey it's an off week for moto gp isn't that convenient uh thanks guys for your one week off in your six week bumper way of closing out the year um also i wanted to, i wanted to pick your brains on something rj because oh, we've sorry. been talking about this on the podcast a little bit in, in between weeks and obviously because indycar is kind of done for the year we've never we've got you can't obviously dedicate a full show towards it but did you see the news from marshall pruitt over on racer.com this afternoon about the fallout at, at junko's hollinger racing because uh it's it's worth talking about canna mylot is out in that team and it's almost certain that uh romain grosjean's going to be going over there to take his place instead i mean Insert where insert where we learn that it's Romain Grosjean or they swerve us somewhere in post prod. But yeah, this is weird. I didn't actually think that they were gonna split. I had a feeling. First of all, I knew that this was never gonna be Calamilots forever. Like no. he's too good a driver to just stick with the own coast Hollinger. And oh, if this had worked out, they could have been together for fifteen to twenty years and built something together. It was never gonna be like that. Like. I gave Ricardo Bioncos the benefit of the doubt. Obviously, he handled this all very poorly. And swapping out Callum Eilat for Romain Grosjean to me, and I don't really want to sound like a Romain Grosjean hater because I do think he's still got value and is still very quick, but mm. you've made your team older and you've arguably put in a more combustible element within your team because when Romain Grosjean has his good days, it's great. And when he has bad days, ooh. When he had his bad days, we all know about it. Let's put it to you that way. He, he, he does a very bad job of keeping that under wraps. Um, so when he has a bad day, we all know about it. And th- this is my problem with it. I mean, if you read the Marshall Pruitt piece, it's it's not pretty. It's not a good look for Jinko Solinger at all, and especially for Ricardo. There was 
there was apparently big beef at the Indy 500 earlier this year when Cannon was screaming to get a chassis changed, and he was right in order to think he had to get a chassis changed because the one he had wasn't wasn't good, wasn't quick enough, and it it got so explosive with Ricardo that they almost cut him right there and then to the point where they almost benched him and put in another driver straight away. The Apparently, the, the tension was that explosive. We've talked on this show earlier this year about the incidents like, like at Long Beach and obviously the season finale where tempers flared. The, uh, the Argentine fans were very outspoken about how they felt about Callum's place in the team and how he was driving compared to Augustine Canapino. Um, it wasn't pretty. It wasn't good. And I, as RJ alluded to, I completely agree with him. I think Junkos handled it terribly. Um, they could have stuck up for their driver. They could have done more to protect him. And um, and they didn't. They chose not to. They sat on their hands during most of the nastiest parts of the criticism. I mean, it's not a good sign that Long Beach went when the series itself had to step in on social media more than the team did. And then for the season finale, which Cannon was in no way responsible for any of how of, of the nastiness of what happened during that weekend, like the team sat on its hands for two days and then decided to step in. It's like, oh, guys, guys, let's all calm down about this. My man has already locked his Twitter account because he's that annoyed about all the criticism he's gotten. With a, a Twitter account has got almost 100,000 followers on it. Like, it was... It was all sorts of ugly, and I've tried to give Ricardo Junkos the benefit of the doubt regarding this. I've held back on writing certain pieces about the situation because it's like, well, I want to give the man every chance to defend himself because, hey, we may have got the Polo situation a little bit wrong in hindsight in regards to how that legal discourse breaks out. Hard for me to defend Ricardo on this one, like really hard, and... It gets a little uglier when you realize that Callum and Grosjean have the same manager as well. That's also crazy, too. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, like there is an above 0% chance that collusion may have taken place here, which is... And to be uh, fair, to be fair like, both drivers ended up in, like, very, very terrible situations by the end of this because on top of Callum Ilot being pushed out of his team... Romain Grosjean might have gotten screwed over in contract arbitration by Andretti Autosport. Mm. It's, yeah, it's, both of their drivers have got in very sticky situations. And like you said, like, I mean, it, it, it seems to me that from what I've been told by pe- people behind the scenes, there's a good chance it goes to court with, with Grosjean. It looks like there's no ground that's being broken on arbitration talks in regards to Grosjean's situation at Andretti. It, it may end up in a court. There's a good chance, apparently, it will now end up in a court. So let's see how that plays out. Because do you think do you think this that Ricardo and Callum end up in court at all? This gut feeling. Uh, I don't know. It's it's at the end of the day, on what grounds? We all knew that that Junkos had the had the right to extend Callum for an extra year, and he just chose not to take the option up. Um, and that's his right, uh, even if, as you said, I think it's a completely batshit decision. Um, Callum's the best driver they've ever had. Grosjean, yes, on a good day, can be as good, if not maybe even better than, than, than Callum has been in his IndyCar career to date. But your team is older, and how is Grosjean going to be able to cope 
in a team that is Canapinos in all but name. Both drivers also look very similar, which is going to be even crazy <laughs> to think about. Like you put a picture of Romain and put a picture of Augustine next to one another, and they're just like, yeah, these these two look the same. Yeah, it's, it's, it's that it's that it's that it's that meme of um, the officer goes, yeah, they're both the same picture. Um, yeah, it's 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 kind Dude, of a weird one. I don't know. I don't know what to make of this. Like, other than like, yeah, with. Better public relations and better like interpersonal handling. This could have been like handled a lot better. Yeah, no shit, RJ. Yeah, uh, it's just it it, it it's it's just a sad story because Junkos is genuinely one of the like well go before this now what I would have said was Junkos is one of the underdog stories, one of the true genuine underdog stories in IndyCar. And the the fact they went from minnows and scraping together a program to bump Fernando Alonso out of the 500, they've become a bona fide full time two car operation. They've got both cars in the leaders' circle. The team this year. also died; it effectively died over COVID. And this is still like one of the smaller teams. And I, and I'm sure that like you know, I wouldn't feel disgusted rooting for Roman Grosjean to finally win one of these, or for Augustin Canapino, who sure. has no single seater background to break through and put some solid results together. Given his by all accounts, just, they're good, yeah, by all, by all accounts, they're good people, and yeah. and like I know Grosjean gets a bit of a bad rap on the internet, but sometimes, but I think the good of Grosjean far outweighs the bad. And Canapino, by all accounts, was you know he he was exactly what fans want an IndyCar driver to be someone who embraces the series warts and all someone that learned English in only a handful of months in order to better adapt to the series and be, to be able to better communicate with his team he qualified for the 500 in his first attempt he had a wonderful messy branded livery on his car which gained a lot of fans and won a lot of people over like by all like they're meant to be the easy team to root for, and they've shot themselves in the foot by how badly they've handled this. Like, and it's a real shame because I know there's a lot of good people in that Jinko's camp, and I know Ricardo. I, I want to think Ricardo means well, but he's been so cack-handed in how he's he's gone about this that it's going to make people cynical about him, and 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 I don't want that to be the case. But he's leaving me with little choice, and that's what makes it so frustrating, you know. Like, can you remember, like, an F1 situation that was like this? Because, like, people have drawn comparisons to, like, Lotus in 2014 when it was Grosjean and Maldonado. Mm. How possible that could have been? But at least it's just, like, you know, with Junkos Hollinger, you, you expect them to be a lower midfield team, and they were a lower midfield team, whereas Lotus 2014 is just like, yeah, all the cards and the, all, all the foundation is crumbling. Yeah, it may maybe early Red Bull when they were buying people like Seb Bourdais out of their contract and shit like that. This is probably the nearest comparison I can draw. Because by all accounts, the Lotus 2014 team got along. It's just they were skint. Um, and we saw, we all saw that weekend in Belgium where Grosjean got on the podium the same weekend the bailiffs were in. And, mm. you know, it's it's but that's a that's a bit more of a business problem than a interpersonal problem, I suppose. Um to that to have to have it to that but even in formula one to have a team fall out to that degree is that just doesn't happen normally somebody just goes off or somebody gets chopped or moves teams like i think mercedes in 2016 could have gotten to that point but 
Rosberg retired before it really reached its apex, um, which I guess kind of transitions us kind of nicely into actually talking about Formula One this Formula weekend. Formula One, I see that in Mexico. Uh, we'll do the social media at the end of the show on this one because we're, we've done 10 minutes on the opening segment already, which is kind of fun. But it was the Mexican Grand Prix this weekend in Formula One. And for better or for worse, it was a Grand Prix that will likely be defined by the first 15 seconds. Sergio Perez, who, for, for some backstory, was outqualified by Daniel Ricciardo's Alpha Tauri, got a brilliant launch, goes into turn one, tries to go free wide. Now, we, now, we watched this together, right? Mm. And I, I will say in all confidence, because Sergio Perez is one of the, my guys. He has been since that miracle season in 2012. And I'm thinking, right, this is going to be the year that he gets it together. And he gets a great launch, and then he gets a run that looks like it's going to take him to the front of the field. And as we're all watching together, I'm just like, he's pulled out three wide. I'm like, do it. Go on. Do it. Do it. Do it. And... Within seconds, I immediately regret everything I have thought and said, <laughs> and I just want to crawl into a hole and bury myself in dirt. Oh, it's it's it was the hero move that he tried. He tried. We basically did what Max Verstappen tried to do a couple of years ago in 2021, where he went around the outside of both Mercedes and actually pulled it off to his credit. Um, this one. Well, Perez hooks the inside of Charles Leclerc's pole-sitting Ferrari. Um, he's in the middle of a free-wide. There's nothing Leclerc could have realistically done. He was very reasonable um, on, on all sides. And Perez hooks him, punches a big old hole in his side pod. He actually goes airborne briefly, um, eventually crash lands. He's able to get the car back to the pits somehow, but the damage is too extensive. His day is done after just a couple of minutes. Um, and yeah, that was that. And well, the race was pretty straightforward after that for his teammate, Max Verstappen, who, and yes, get your sweet 16 jokes in now because it was his 16th win of the season, a new formula one world record. We've never had a 16 win season in F1 history before until this past weekend. Um, and the, ter- the one that's terrifying to me is. That was his 51st career win. Max Verstappen now has the same amount of wins as Alan fucking Prost. <laughs> he's 27. He's now equal he's 26. <laughs> That's what's even more crazy. I think he's 27th later this month, isn't he? Like he's, 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 he turns 27 next year, turned 26 this September. Fuck but off. even still, <laughs> even still, it's his ninth season. He has 51 wins and he's still only at 26 years old. That, uh, that, is, that is utterly terrible. Like, like, again, I've, I've looked at recent form. 16 wins this year. He's now had 41 wins in the last three seasons. That's the same amount of wins as Ayrton Senna's entire career, and he's done it in three seasons. Uh, he's, he's, won 30, he's won 31 out of the last 41 Grand Prix. That's ridiculous. It's we've. I, I, I know it sounds like we might be beating the old drum on this show by saying this, but this is otherworldly what we're watching here. We have never seen dominance like this in Formula One. And if you watch that race, you'd see the exact same story. Like there was a, a key incident. There was a red flag. 
um, a, a literally half distance when Kevin Magnuson's left rear suspension failed, had a nasty crunch into the wall car, burst into flames. It was a complete write-off of a car. Thankfully, Kevin was okay, but uh, it, it forced a red flag to fix the barrier from, from, from the impact. And it kind of took a lot of the strategy away from this race because it was looking like Red Bull might two-stop. But um, they, they did in the end anyway, because Max had 20 seconds in front and you only lose 12 on a safety car. So they were like, well, sod it. Let's cover our asses and come in and pit for new tires now and get that stop out of the way. It worked to perfection. And then the red flag came out, so it didn't matter anyway. Um, the only drama was really a second standing restart. And max nailed that one too <laughs> so it, it, it was over like he, he just took chunks of time out of lewis hamilton lap after lap and it, that's how it ended up a, a verstappen hamilton leclerc top three in the end but the result you expected but i, I think obviously we got to talk about sergio perez because of course you see that daniel ricardo outqualified him in the avatar and you think oh my god sergio perez and the best car ever built got outqualified by the worst car. The margins were actually pretty close between him and Verstappen compared to most weekends. Mm. Like it wasn't, he wasn't that far off. It was third versus fifth on the grid. And plus, Mexico City is a place where you get such a big toe down the front stretch, particularly off a standing start, where you think it's possible that Sergio Perez can have a good day. And I thought to myself, this is ever going to be the year that Sergio Perez wins his home race. It's going to be this year. And that hope lasted about 20 seconds. I think there's a good deal of people that came to see Sergio Perez win this race, leaving early. There's still a good crowd that stuck around. Got to give it to them. Mm -hmm. But that was not good. And like, I know, I, I don't think, Red Bull is going to do the thing that everybody wants them to do, which is, of course, put anybody else in the car other than Sergio Perez, likely Daniel Ricciardo. We'll talk about it in a second, but like, I don't think they will. I wouldn't want it, but like, I get it. I get it if they did. Let's just say Red Bull's been far more ruthless and far less justified in some of its driver swaps than it would be if they were to cut Sergio Perez at the end of this season. Is, is what I would say is a, and I think that's a reasonable take in, yeah. in, in regards to this. I mean, Austin will give you about ruthless cuts about how rebel have treated some of their dudes in the past. Pierre Gasly asked Alexander Albon and mm. all of this stems back to when Daniel Ricardo walked out of Red Bull in 2018, went to Anstone and they couldn't get Carlos signs. So it was just like, okay, what do we do? We promote Pierre Gasly. Maybe Pierre Gasly wasn't the right driver at the right time. So like, okay, let's try again with Alex Alba. He's a different kind of rookie. And after a year and a half, they decide we're done with this. Sergio Perez is almost out of the sport. And we're like, finally, we get an experienced guy who's not necessarily a Red Bull guy. This is what we need to push the team forward. And it's been good at points. Like, yeah, let's not forget Sergio Perez has won two races this season. It's not an out and out abject failure, but like, it feels like it. If Red Bull was not by far and away the best team in the sport with no other competition, and I think this is what's driving a lot of the Saints with Sergio Perez because it's just like, well, if Mercedes and Ferrari and McLaren are not going to give them the fight, then surely we could have intra-team competition for a world championship. And that hasn't been a realistic prospect since Miami. And Perez has not been the same driver since getting beat straight up by Max Verstappen in Miami. 
I, I think you had that as the key flashpoint, and I think you're right that that's the key flashpoint. That was a race that Sergio Perez was destined to win. He started on pole. Verstappen couldn't get a clean lap away. He was he was he was starting ninth that day. That was a race that was built for Checo to win. And then when I saw that Max was going faster than him on twenty lap older tires, I was like, no, this is not happening this year. This was and it was a t- it was a tire management one stopper race. That is normally Checo's bread and butter, street circuit esque sort of track, and tire management was the prevalent factor. And he lost. He was beaten straight up. And and he would have done better in a worse car in some because like that's the thing people talk about. Can Checo drive fast setups? People doubt that he can. I, I don't understand how a driver that was so good at getting the best out of midfield upper midfield cars now suddenly. Can't do it in a Red Bull. I think Jensen Button summed it up quite well because this was around the time, I think, back in September when everybody was off. My boss is going to give you some words about that. (laughs) (laughs) Because they've been going going back and forth since Didham's Gate in Austin. Oh, God. That's going to be fun. (laughs) Let let me see some of those chats regarding that later. No, I was going to say, like, this if you remember back in September when there was a big debate doing the rounds between, like, because Hamilton put it out there that, oh, I've I've had better teammates than Verstappen has had. And look, I stand by this, Matt. Like, Lewis knew exactly what he was doing when he was making those comments. And then, like, they asked Jensen Button what he thought of the matter. And Jensen, I think, broke it down very, very well, is that, is that, yeah, he said that Hamilton's probably had better teammates, but he also thinks that what makes Max so good as a driver is that he is able to deal with extreme setups. Like, I think his theory was that Adrian Newey develops the fastest F1 car he can possibly make and basically tells Max, look, this car's not going to be very fun to drive, but if you can handle it, it will go faster than God. And, and that's generally what he does. It, it reminds me of the Schumacher years of Benetton. You know, that's 94, especially that was not an optimized car. And look, people still think about all the conspiracy theories of the tricks that were inside that car. But I don't think it was just that there was a reason why three different other drivers not named Michael Schumacher couldn't really do anything in that car. And Michael won a world championship in it. Michael was a god-given gift. Like, like, like I've said. I, I don't want to go into too much of a tangent here on this one, but like, if God decided to make a racing driver, it would probably look something like Michael Schumacher. He was so far ahead of his time in terms of work rate, fitness regimen, you know, you know dedication to the craft, um, being a ruthless cyborg. But he also had some of the same speed that previous legends had, like an Ayrton Senna or a, or, or a Nigel Mansell. He was the amalgamation of, like, if you were building a Frankenstein's monster of, of F1 drivers, it would probably look something like what Michael ended up with. Could and, it also look like Matt's for Stappen? Well, look. He's a three-time 50-win world champion. He's one of the best of all time already. Like, like, by most statistical measures, he's a top 10 driver ever, in my opinion, and he's not 10. That says a lot about where I think Max is at the moment. I mean, this, he's, this is the greatest three-year run we've ever seen in Formula 1. He had a all-time classic title fight with Lewis that he won, yes, under via dubious circumstances, but these two seasons... Emails. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't care. But these two seasons have been 
without any question, statistically, the two greatest seasons we've ever seen in Formula One. And he somehow topped himself from last year. And last year was already otherworldly. This is off the scale. 19 wins is on the table for Max this season. 19! No, like only one team in history has ever won 19 Grand Prix in a season, and that was a 2016 Mercedes, where I think they won 19 out of 21 that year. Only one team has won 19 Grand Prix. Max might do it on his own. Dre, what's the saying about winning races at turn one? I've always said, you, you can't win a race at turn one, but you certainly can lose one at turn one. And look, I actually give Christian Horner some degree of credit on this one because uh, he said to the media after the race that when he was consoling Perez on camera during his downtime in that period, he said, look, you're a fast racing driver at your home circuit. You're not a racing driver if you wouldn't try it. Um, he understood where Perez was coming from, and I'm glad he did because I do too. Mm-hmm. Like it's It's very easy to take that at face value and go, oh, well, Checo's just fucked up. But the way I look at it, Checo was genuinely competitive this weekend, the way I see it. Like, his long-run form was very similar to Max's. He was less than a tenth and a half behind him on the track. Yes, Ricardo did not help by sticking his Alpha Tauri in there, and what is, by all accounts this season, an outlier, given where Alpha Tauri are at this year. But even so... Perez was exactly where he needed to be. It was a very weird qualifying session where the temperature actually dropped by a couple of degrees over the course of the session. And that, because it's the air is thinner in Mexico, nobody ever mentions the thin air in Mexico, the track temperature actually dropped by nine. It was a v- because the air is thinner. So it makes the track cooler quicker. So it, it let's speak to this way. Charles Leclerc was 1.1 seconds faster between Q2 and Q3 because the track temperature dropped so bad, and that's how narrow Ferrari's operating window is. It, that's how freaky this session was. But I digress. The point I'm getting at here is that I understand why, why Checo went for it. It was his home Grand Prix. He'd seen his teammate pull off that move two years prior. And he's probably not going to get a better chance to win any race, let alone his home race. And look, I've said it on other shows. The Mexicans are fucking loyal. You see them at every Grand Prix weekend you go to. Checo's got a massive fan, fan base and follow, an infamous fan base and following, depending on who you ask on social media. There was a, I think there was something like 140,000 at this Grand Prix on race day. Yeah, I love you know. That. You know, it's 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 like people are oh get rid of Mexico. I'm like, look, it draws far too much money. Yeah, they had four hundred thousand over the weekend. Like, this is a massive cash cow for Formula One to be in Mexico, all right? Point I'm getting at here is that he's not gonna get a better chance to win a Grand Prix this year again than this one. And it's his home Grand Prix, and Mexico would have stood still if he'd won this motherfucker. I get it. I absolutely get it. Yes, he didn't quite pull it off, and look. In real time, it looks a lot like Lewis Hamilton in Qatar. But I he do called f- a me in Qatar after the race when yeah, Hamilton's the man debriefing is, on the, the Max Verstappen podcast. The man himself said it, and the, and look, I do find it funny to me that we were much more willing to give Lewis Hamilton the benefit of the doubt for a carbon copy move than Sergio Perez did two weeks later. 
there is probably something to that. Um, maybe Hamilton's earned a bigger benefit than that. Maybe it's the, the nature of Team LH. I don't know. But it's probably somewhere in the middle of that. But I get it. I get why he did it. It's unf- it, 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 He would have been a hero if he pulled it off. He went in too hot. He fought, and the Leclerc's car was never going to vanish in that space. Max had already won the corner. Leclerc was more than reasonable in the amount of space he could give on both sides. Yeah. Um, Leclerc got the heat for it for an accident that was not his fault. And Checo not. even said, like, hey, that was not his fault. No, I'm, I'm glad Checo addressed that and said, look, can you guys calm down, please? Yeah. Um, because Charles, like, uh, this is another small tangent I want to say here. Charles Leclerc did not deserve to be booed. And look, I have given up the fight on trying to trivialize booing. It's a, it's a part of sport. It, like People have paid their hard-earned money. They've got the right to boo if they feel so. And not that I necessarily agree with it, um, but what I would also say is that if you're, F, if you're an F1 fan and, you're, and you think this sport is above this shit, it isn't. Because we all saw the clips of, uh, you know, people in Red Bull merchandise assaulting Ferrari fans in the side of the track. And that, thankfully, that fan was ejected um, and was given a lifetime ban. So I'm glad that Formula One stepped in quickly regarding that. But just because your favorite driver's had a bad day in a mistake that was almost 100% of his own making doesn't mean you have the right to make somebody else's day miserable. Save, save, save the booing for your country's most evil politicians when they hand out trophies on the podium. That's what I'd say. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, if it's Greg Abbott, fuck it. Boo away. But, you know, not Charles Leclerc did not deserve that treatment yeah. at all. And I'm, I'm glad that at least Checo recognized that and went in to defend him because he's absolutely right to say that. And I'm glad he took accountability for it because um, not many drivers do. I mean, unfortunately, we'll get, we'll get into Yuki Sonoda in a minute, but Sonoda went the other way. Sonoda doubled down, which did not help. He said, look, oh, they like the big teams. And I'm like, oh, come on, Yuki, come on. That, you, you can't blame Piastri for that one. We'll get into that in, in a minute. But it's a like, Checo could not have chosen a worse weekend for him to do that. And, and, and again, I understand why. I totally get why. He, he he played the percentages and went all in. I completely understand it. But in a weekend where you were as competitive as you've been all year, in a weekend where Daniel Ricciardo brought home the best AlphaTauri result of the year um, and genuinely looked impressive, you couldn't have chosen a worse time to, 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 to lose the roll, of the, the roll of the dice on that one because it's now going to put even more pressure on Red Bull to move on from you. And look, I'll give Horner and Marco this. They are both adamant. They've dug in on this. They're not getting rid of Checo. Now, again, whether you want to take Christian Horner at his word is up to you. I can completely understand why you wouldn't. But on this one... He like he and like Marco literally said in interviews after the race. Look, I'm sick of you people asking me about this. He's got a contract. We're going to honor it, and we're not getting rid of him. But because of the way they've treated drivers so often in the past, yeah, it makes people cynical, and I can understand why. Anyway, Dan- by the way, Daniel Ricardo, mm. where has this driver been since dumping Endstone for McLaren a couple of years back? Other than mm. that one weekend of Monza, that one really good weekend of Monza, because Daniel Ricciardo qualified fourth, as we talked about, and then he would go on to run in the top five for most of the race and finish seventh 
in a heated last lap dogfight with George Russell, almost got sits that that race was a lap longer. So Dre, as he put himself in the shop window for a promotion, and will AlphaTauri get off the bottom of the standings? And I can answer that second question for you because they already have. Daniel Ricardo's points brought AlphaTauri from 10th in the table to 8th on countback. Yes, uh, they're now tied with Alfa Romeo, but Ricardo's seventh place breaks the tie um, because the best and any Alfa Romeo has finished the season was eighth, and that was Valtteri Bottas on the opening round all the way back in March in Bahrain. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know with Daniel Ricardo. I, I, I need to see more. of, of, of this. Let's not forget, this is only his third race back. He was meant to have had eight. Like, he was have like it's seven Grand race back because he came back at Austin and like you know yeah he had the he was coming off the hand injury. I guess this was third race back if you count like you know before the hand injury. Yeah, um, I mean, yeah, he did. He did Hungary. He was fine. He did Belgium. He was outclassed by Sonoda that that weekend. Zandvoort was obviously cut short for obvious reasons. It's only his fifth race since he's come back, and really it's only like four because Zandvoort doesn't really count. I mean, it's inconclusive. That's my big problem with this is that this seemingly was an outlier. Like Pierre Gasly himself this weekend, obviously as a guy who knows AlphaTauri, said, yeah, you could see what AlphaTauri's done to make their car fast. And and it was when he was asked, he was about it. He was like, what was it? He was like, well, no, it's... Um, well, it, it's obvious if I tell you. Um, but he basically hinted at the fact that Alpha Tari had a cracked setup this weekend, and it showed. <laughs> it's hard to argue it didn't show. Yeah. Fourth they in qualifying. A package and a cracked setup. That's great. Yeah, like fourth, fourth in qualifying, seventh in the race, was fighting George Russell for sixth on the final lap of the race. George himself admitted if that race was one lap longer, um, he, he doesn't finish sixth, basically. Ricardo was all over him like a hot rash at the end of that race. That was the best in Alpha Tauri's looked all year. Probably the best in a couple of years, I would argue. That, that in terms of Alpha Tauri and how how good and they've it been. Could have been so so much better. Again, what is it with drivers in the Red Bull uh, umbrella that I like having unfortunate <laughs> accidents when you just think it's all going to come together for them? Because Yuki Tsunoda drove from the back of the grid to seventh and was going to make this even better, and then he. Pulls a really clumsy move on Oscar Piastri that makes everybody think of, you know, bad Yuki from the first two years of his career when he's generally been the best version of himself this season up to this point. Everything came up Millhouse for Yuki. He he yes, he had to start from the back of the grid after taking a, a whole new power unit for the weekend. So they basically after he was prepared to sacrifice his weekend already. They took a new power unit. He was running up to around, I think it was 12th or so. He he took an early aggressive pit stop to try and get some clean air. He got lucky with the red flag because it was able, it meant he was able to promote himself up the field because he was on fresh rubber um, and mitigated a lot of the, the need for a second pit stop. Um, he was running eighth. He was stuck behind Oscar Piastri. When he finally did try to pass him, he, he clipped the outside of him in a very similar move to what Checo did. Um he's he's braked late he's assumed that piastri's car is going to vanish it didn't and he's 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 clipped him and he's gone into the grass i mean that's just that would have likely have been six more points 
for for AlphaTauri, and that would have put them in the range of Williams, potentially in the fight for what could be seventh in the constructors. It's still a really good weekend for AlphaTauri, but it could have been a bananas weekend for AlphaTauri this weekend. We could have been looking at as many as maybe 16 points, which would have been otherworldly for this team, given that they only had God, I want to say four of them before Okota last week. Um, yeah. it's, it's, by the way, this now means that Haas is now officially the best worst team in Formula One because no team has finished last in the Constructors' Championship with a double-digit score. Haas has 12 points. No team that has ever finished bottom of the Constructors has ever scored as many as 12. Yay for the 2010 scoring system. Um, but yeah, it's, it is it is funny how this is all shaken out now. And it, it's, it's, it's a weird fight at the moment now with Williams that are still chipping away at it. I mean, Alex Albon getting in the points is no longer a surprise. He's done it six times in the last 12 weekends. Um, it was nice crazy forget- to think about. Again, yep. I've always said that the worst thing that could have happened to Logan Sargent was for there to be expectations to score points in his first season with Williams. And guess what's happened? <laughs> yeah, uh, and as a direct result of that, now Williams are now scoring points on a semi-frequent basis, and now everyone's put the pressure on Logan Sargent because he's got one point, one point compared to Albon's twenty-five. Um, yeah, it's it's not a fair fight, but that's Formula One for you sometimes. Yeah, I mean, it's been a remarkable turnaround at Williams, and shout out to James Vowles, who's done an unbelievable job in, in turning them around so quickly. And he became a dad again today as well. So congrats to James Vowles and the family, and lovely baby girl on, on social media that you may have seen. So congrats to, to the Vowles family. Um, but yeah, like Williams are, are kicking ass right now, and then you've got Alpha Tari who have shot up in the in the back half of the season. Their upgrade seems to have done them wonders. Alfa Romeo are the participation trophy team of Formula One this year, and I will not hear any argument otherwise. They're just, just there. <laughs> They're just the most there. intriguing thing about this Alfa Romeo team, as we know them, is like the will they, won't they rumors regarding whether Audi is going to get cold feet and pull out of this project two years before it's supposed to kick into gear. You're the sports car, man. Get your people, because it was Radio Le Mans that started this crazy talk. Um, and, I, and I don't know where it's come from, this idea that Audi's suddenly going to... Do you know how embarrassing a look it would be for Audi if they pulled out at this point? Having yeah. already bought a chunk of an F1 team, having already committed to a 2026... They've unveiled the car, they've unveiled the launch, and then they back out of it a year later. It would be... It would do catastrophic damage to the Volkswagen Group. So bad, and this is like on the back of like you know, if you talk to people in the sports car community, you're just like they have burned their bridges with customer teams all up and down GT and touring car racing and potential customers with the prototype that they scrapped, even though it would have been cost efficient because it's really just a Porsche 19 with Audi stickers, stickers, but. I don't know. I hope that's not the case. I understand that Audi is doing a lot of reshuffling across the board in corporate. And I know it's not just the folks in Midweek Motorsport that are picking up on this. But it would be very, very, very weird for that to happen. And that would be awful for Sauber Technologies. Sauber Sauber would be toast, as we know it. because They were almost toast when BMW pulled the plug. They've they fought this off three or four times in the last decade or so. It's not been great, but it, it, it would be catastrophic damage 
to the Volkswagen group if okay. they put together an F1 bin and then pulled out. And then there's Haas, who, God bless him, are trying. Bless like, him. Like, Hulkenberg pulled in a shift to try and get 10th place. Nico Hulkenberg, with no DRS, was holding off the Alpines with DRS. And that says a lot about Nico Hulkenberg's driving ability and also just how powerful and the Alpine power units are compared to the competition. Otmar, in his last weekend as Alpine team principal, said that they were maybe as much as 30 to 40 horsepower down. A lot of people took that as political talk. It's more than obvious to me. They are certainly down on something. Now, and this, maybe, this may not be the best example of it because, like I said, Mexico, thinner air. These cars are producing 25% less downforce than they normally do. And because the air is thinner, DRS is not as effective as it normally is. Even so, um, they it's pretty clear the Alpines lack grunt. Um, that's more than obvious. And like I said, Hulkenberg tried. He really tried. And he, it was only the fact that we all know Haas cooks their tires. Um, and he just ran out of steam with about six laps they to go. Saute those tires. They put those ov- tires in the oven at 350 and leave them in there for 25 minutes. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's a wild one. Ooh. Anyway. Ricardo. Anyway. Ricardo. Ricardo. I need what to see more. I, I, I need to see more. I mean, this... Look, if Red Bull wanted to, they easily could. Ricardo's yeah. made it abundantly clear that he wants to be back in the Red Bull factory team for 2025. Yeah. That was his That was his aim. Christian Horner had no problem entertaining that line of thinking, at least. Yeah. Let, I mean, me personally, I've kind of had the stance since Japan that if you wanted to move on from Checo, he's your bottleneck, not Lawson or Sonoda or Ricardo in that AlphaTauri camp. But I think the jury is still out on Daniel since since coming back. I think it's it's a nice thought, and this was obviously an, an, a, a fantastic weekend from Ricardo. No one is disputing that. I, I know I'm certainly not. Yeah. But will the real Daniel Ricardo please stand up? Because like we, we he was he was nothing like this in any of the other weekends he's been in since coming back. <laughs> so. If right now this is an outlier, I need to see more. I, I'm very curious to see how he gets on at Brazil. We've still got Vegas, which is going to be a complete outlier for the field. No one knows what we're going to be getting into with that. And then Abu Dhabi at the end is almost like a testing weekend for many people. Um, so again, we're, we're going to have to wait and see. He's anecdotally, absolutely- anecdotally, he's the the last truly great second driver that Red Bull has had. Mm-hmm. But that was five years ago. The last just time we know. saw Daniel Ricardo in that competitive a car, like other than one weekend in Monza, he was solidly outperformed. Yeah, like there's no getting around it. Like it's, we just don't know. It's just the results are all over the place. The sample size, in my opinion, is too small. He's had less race weekends since coming back than Liam Lawson got by replacing him with the metacarpal injury. It's like, it's like he's had four race weekends in full. Lawson got five, basically, and one of them was kind of like a half weekend in Zandvoort in the first because he was in he was in on emergency notice. Uh, but they've basically had the same amount of running minus the five thousand kilometers you get in an off season that Lawson didn't get. Um, so for me, it's it's hard to evaluate between him, 
between Ricardo and Sonoda, who's front of the queue. Um, I, I just don't know. I think Ricardo probably is front of the queue because why else would you bring him back? In my opinion, because you, if you would, if you felt this way about the freeze early on, you could have just put Lawson in early and abandoned his super formula campaign. Um, they didn't. So, you know, they didn't. And he finished and he finished an incredible runner up in the championship mm-hmm. with three wins in the season. Won his debut race. <laughs> it was a good year for him. It's, a, it's been an outstanding year for Liam Lawson. He's a fantastic driver. He's a fantastic talent. And he was only beaten, really, by a fantastic campaign by Ritomo Miata, who won the Super Formula title this past weekend. Congratulations to him. And, and as a quick side note, as someone that's also on the neurodivergent spectrum, representation matters. Congratulations. Yeah. And he can win a second title in GT500 this weekend, probably by the time this episode goes out. He'd only be the fifth person in history to do it, and he'd do it 24 years old. Decent talent. <laughs> yeah, decent just talent. a bit. Yeah, just why, why, why they would put him in a GT3 car next year, I don't know, unless mm. you're trying to learn the circuits and the procedures because it's not put him in faster equipment. <laughs> exactly. So, like, I don't know what what the landscape's going to be. It's hard to evaluate this situation at AlphaTauri in general because Sonoda's form is a question mark due to lack of teammate comparison. Lawson only did five race weekends and was good, but you've already determined that it wasn't good enough to jump the queue. And Ricardo, who, who you built this plan around in the first place, has only had four full race weekends. And he's not been particularly special in three of them. So yeah. I, I don't I don't know. It's it, it's 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 hard to say. I still think Ricardo's in front of the queue, but uh, but I again, if that if if, if how you're, you feel, you're doing it off more off of vibes than like tangible right. results, right? Like it, 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 here's how I look at it: just to, to put a neat bow on this segment, if you're the sort of person that thinks Sergio Perez should be replaced, the last two weekends are only going to cement that opinion. It's, it's it's done nothing to change your mind. Is that surely if that's the way you feel about Checo at this point? If you're more in the camp of wanting to keep him then this weekend did not help. Um, and that's the unfortunate nature of swings and roundabouts in this sport. But for me, I think Ricardo is front of the is front of the line, but it's not as simple as that. And that's the problem. It's tough. But, you know, it could always be worse. It could be Aston Martin right now. Ooh. Worst weekend of the year. Fernando Alonso retires after floor damage. Uh, he picked up a piece of Perez's debris. And that punctured a big old hole in the floor and that ruined its handling. Lance Stroll could not make miracles happen from another pit lane start, even with the older spec car that seems to be working to the upgrade package. Mm. And just for his troubles, he gets punted late by Valtteri Bottas. Um, so where do you see this going? team going forward with rumors and speculation of uh, Senator Armstrong uh, <laughs> uh, quality that Alonzo might bail at the end of the year? First of all, Albert Fabrega, what the fuck are you playing at? Um, Dude, I, 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 heard, I heard this earth-shattering rumor that I can't tell you what it is. Dude, that's Why? crazy. F1, F1 journals are acting like pro wrestling journals for a day. That's so crazy. 
So yeah, like subscribe to Fightful for five dollars to get the full scoop on this story. I'm, I'm joking. I love Sean Ross Sapp. He's the man. Um, genuine mate of mine from from way back. But um, yeah, like it's it, it, it's you're so it's, it's just, you're so right. It's so it's so this pro is all, this is missing like uh, fifty eyes emojis and like thirty five popcorn emojis. Oh that, yeah, and the the big thing that people were drawing inference is like, well. They're going to take Perez out of the car and put in Fernando Alonso instead because he wants one more chance at the top light car because it's not going well because I've been a Fernando Alonso fan for 20 years. And I can tell you when the times are good, they're great. And when the times are not so going so good, it can be very, very, very petulant. Yeah, it's 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 a Grosjean-esque situation. It's wonderful when things are great. When it's not great, we're all going to know about it. We've come full circle on this episode. I mean... The one that got me was a stat that uh, was passed on to me by Glenn Freeman at the race, who does a brilliant job with the Bring Back V10s podcast, which many people know about. Um, the last four race weekends, Aston Martin has scored 14 points. Is that good? It's apocalyptically bad. Like it's, it's, Let's put it to you this way. Aston Martin are now very lucky that at this point they probably have nothing to play for. Is, is how I look at it, because they're pretty much now locked into fifth. They were competing against um, against McLaren. They have lost that fight. Mc, McLaren has surpassed them. They're going to go into the distance. That's crazy um, to think where these two teams started. Aston Martin, probably second best constructor. McLaren, we're wondering, are they even going to get points before we get to Europe? And my, how things have changed. McLaren's well, going up one way, and Aston Martin's going down, down, down. They've had. It's like they've swapped cars. It's like freaky. It's like it's like Freaky Friday has 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 taken place in Formula One form between them and McLaren. But let's not forget, McLaren sacked James Key after two races this season. They reshuffled for the third time in six years. They brought Peter Pedromo back up to up into the fourfold. They put a brand new triangle offense structure as to how their team was organized. And after Austria, they have been the second best team in Formula One by a country mile. Lando Norris, I think, has been the, the second highest point scorer in Formula One since the summer break. Um, and Alonso, well, Autosport put this out there this morning. First nine races of the year, Alonso had 131 points. He's had 52 in the last 10. And 18 of those was the Zandvoort second place that he got in a changeable conditions like it's gone fundamentally wrong here and i think it, it boils down to the classic case of the silverstone team opening the year with a good concept but then not being able to take it any further as the rest of the field with better resources and more money in some cases are able to surpass them and beat them in the development race because that's clearly what's happened here ferrari were were were, were panned universally at the start of this season um but largely they've got their shit together they, there's been a lot less haunts in the second half of the year and if cam was here, he'd either come in right now with a frying pan and whack me in the back of the head for saying so but i think i can get away with it here ferrari's genuinely been good in the second half of the year that's one thing. Mercedes have consistently been, for me, the third best team in F1 right now. Maybe there's a weekend where one team beats them, but they've always been like the number three team here. And they've had Hamilton that has punched above his weight a lot of the time in these races. Um, and then McLaren, who have scored 200 plus points in the last 10 Grand Prix. They've just been racking up podiums 
and and high-class results and even got a sprint-win in Qatar with Piastri. Who, the, McLaren has a good second scorer again um, for the first time since Ricardo was been and gone. Like, this... <clears throat> Aston Martin did itself no favors by Lance Stroll having an all-time bad season by his standards as well. That's something that you've got to factor into all of this. Having a better second car would have certainly softened the blow here. But this team is cheeks at the moment. Like, like I said to you on the WTF one podcast we did together, RJ, like, we literally said that for all the shit we've given them, even Alpine looks more consistent than they do at the moment. Which is crazy because Alpine has never met an upheaval in upper management that it didn't <laughs> want to go through this this year. <laughs> yeah. And that is a team that has sacked its team boss, sacked its sporting director, a 30-plus year veteran of the Endstone team, Adam Permain, God bless him. Um... I've, like, I think the stat is that Alpine has replaced every senior member of its staff at least once in the last four years, including a CEO that got absolutely torched by Alan Prost on the way out. Um, Dunning-Kruger <laughs> effect. I still piss myself when I read that comment. Point is, is that Alpine has been roasted for the way they've handled this season. Some of it deservedly. Yeah. And right now, they look like a better team than Aston Martin do. If this season started tomorrow and it was a free race championship, I'm not sure Aston Martin even finishing fifth. I think they'd be lucky to crack the top eight. Right now, Williams... like The only blessing here is that when they went back to the Austin spec... Alonso was genuinely fast. He's been very unlucky that he's had two floor damaging moments in in the last two races. But even then, Alonso looked sloppy going into this race. He, he spun in practice. How do you put an upgrade package and make the car worse? It it says to me that you fundamentally don't understand your car. Which is amazing, given how good it was to start this season. Yeah, and you talked about it. Alonso was sloppy this weekend. He spins in practice. He spins in qualifying. That brings out a gal flag, which ironically catches out Lando Norris, and that's why his drive to fifth place looks so much more it's <laughs> impressive. Right. It's it's it, there's no getting around it. It's just it's 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 an ugly time for Aston Martin. They look, they look like the team they were towards the back end of last year when they were scrapping with Alpha for seventh, rather than like look. This is still a very good season for Aston Martin, but there's going to oh, be yeah. a a tinge of disappointment where people are going to ask, and and it's, it's a valid question: what could have been? Yeah, you always bet- have to ask that when people are talking multiple times about could they win a race early this year. I didn't think they would, but they got multiple podiums out of it and came pretty close in Monaco. Yeah, they, they, they had a golden chance to win in Monaco. Alonso famously said this was going to be the last race we were going to be on the podium after that Catalonia bad weekend, where again, he damaged his floor that Catalonia weekend and had to put up with it for the rest of the rest of the weekend. Um, he said after that weekend that they wouldn't be on, they wouldn't be off the podium again. They've had two since then. Oh, Fernando. Uh, never adopt- n- like, like I-, I have deep respect for you, buddy, but you don't have to put your foot in it sometimes. Like, you, it's, it's, it's a glorious thing. No, I mean, like you said, 
and like when I like I have to double down on this point, like it's still a very good season for Aston and Martin, no matter which way you slice it. This is a two place improvement. Um, that is a step in. It's a massive step in the right direction for them as a team overall. But they are always people are going to look back on this year and realize how much they left on the table with slightly better execution, better development of their car, and I'm sorry, Lance, but a better second driver. There's like it is an it is embarrassing how big the point difference is between Alonso and Stroll this year. Stroll is fighting the Alpines, which. I mean, right now actually isn't an unfair reflection of how <laughs> where Aston Martin are at right now. The problem is Fernando had seven podiums this year. That that that's the problem by comparison. And I'm, I'm not saying, you know, it's like, it's like you know, like I'm not saying that um, ultimately that Stroll should be keeping up with Fernando. He's an all-time great, but if you're able to back him up just a little bit more, you might have been able to cling on to this fourth place. You know, and give give Mercedes and Ferrari a genuine bloody nose, and they've had to work really hard to become second and third best teams in F one again. They've had they've had to go through their fair share of shit. Ferrari is st- was spent the first half of the year cleaning up the back end of the Bonotto era. David Sanchez is gone. Lauren Meckes is going to AlphaTauri next year. Mercedes literally the day before we recorded this, I've had Mike Elliott handing his notice. Mister Zero side pod. Mm. Missed the performance advantage locked in for years, and he's if, leaving the team. If Ferrari wanted somebody to look vaguely like Bataille Bonato, they could just bring Mike Elliott in. JJ <laughs> Abrams having ass. Um, yeah, like, you know, um, he's taking a break, but uh, you know he'll be looking for his next adventure soon. But uh, let's put it to you this way: the impact of Ferrari and Mercedes underperforming has been felt because Ferrari's had to reshuffle its its team to get to this point. And Mercedes have had have had their biggest technical officer, the man who I, I still think it's ironic. The man did the zero sideboard concept and then basically got out of the way via promoting himself, <laughs> so that James Allison could could do the day to day running of that car and team again. Um, but the impact's been felt, and Aston Martin's probably felt it the most of any team out there because they've gone from genuine race winning contender to back end of the points which is just not good enough for a team of their stature. And we're just about done here on this episode of Motorsport 101 already. Wow, that yeah. was a fast one. This um, felt, felt familiar. It did feel familiar. It's like it's almost like we did the whole thing on another slightly bigger network. Um, yeah. For those who may not have noticed or who follow me personally, um, yes, we did a very similar version of this on the WTF1 podcast this past Monday. You get the um, uncut version of this. Yeah, you, you you get the After Dark edition. It's, it's, it's great. Um, shall I explain the story of how we got to this point? Because it's only fair I actually I actually explain this because it's a sort of sport 101. Who cares, right? We're, we're, we're friends here. Um, basically, what had happened was was that Harry Benjamin, you may know him from his Formula 3 commentary work. He's done the F1 Academy gig. He did the F1 Kids broadcast in Hungary as well. He also hosts one half of the WTF1 podcasts we do every week. Um, we did his Austin race review on Sunday night. The, the same Sunday the race happened, he messaged me saying, hi, hi Dre, um, here's our episode. I'm on holiday next week, so here's our recording. I took that as he's not going to be here for the Mexico episode in a week's time because he's going to be on holiday. 
when what he actually meant was I'm literally taking the next seven days off. So here's the reason why this podcast taping is here on Sunday night. I got that wrong. I tried to be proactive and tried to just have a show to fill in without realizing that he and Callan was going to record the day afterwards. Whoops. But the good news is that they also gave us another podcast. So WTF1 fans, you got two podcasts this week. Yeah, you got three for the price of two. Um, so if, you, if you're a fan of me, brilliant. You got even more of me than you normally do. Um, if you're not, well, tough luck. Sorry about that. Um, you know, better luck next week. Um, so yeah, my bad is basically the way I can sum this up. Um, so that, so now you know the inside story as to how I goosed up on this one. Well, um, it could be worse. You could be the Las Vegas Raiders and hire <laughs> the worst football coach that there is, and then like just be surprised that it went as bad as it did, and then have to sack him. <laughs> who keeps giving josh mcdaniels head coaching gigs honestly um yeah more on that on our football podcast next week as mentioned cam's a little bit under the weather so we're going to hopefully do moto gp's catch up of buriram and philip Arden, two incredible race weekends by the way if you have not seen the buriram race go out of your way to watch it probably moto gp's race of the year is what i would say and yeah philip island's crown lasted less than a week uh, amazing how these things work out in the end but uh, we'll hopefully be doing that to catch up with next week so forgive us for the delay on that one get well sooner to mr buckley um i know we'll be listening in um get well soon big man uh places you can find us real quick we are on twitter.com forward slash motorsport underscore 101 our personal handles are at dre underscore wtf1 and at rj o'connell um our website is motorsport101.com if you want some extra thoughts on this race weekend as well as uh the MotoGP race in Buriram. You can check out the blog section on that. It's also getting towards season review season, so there'll be plenty of written content coming up at the back end of November, so look forward to some of that as well. And if you really like us, you can back us financially on Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash Motorsport 101. Five bucks gets you early access to all of our shows before they go live to the public. You can upgrade to the $10 level where you can listen to these episodes live as they're being recorded, interact with us in the chat, and get into the supporters club of our discord server that'll do it next weekend will be formula one in brazil the fan favorite at interlagos really looking forward to that one it's a sprint weekend as well yay woo the, the last the, one it's the last, the last one. one sixth sprint of the year uh the final one of the season who knows maybe they'll give hamilton the new engine and put him at the back and could be fun so uh, we'll see how that goes um but yeah until next time i've been dre harrison he's been rj o'connell for the second time this week thank you very much for listening sayonara later y'all again <laughs> it's groundhog day again